When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk. Doug Marie, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. The trio back together to do some rapid fire questions about the Rose Bowl. We're kind of trying to be super rapid because Nathan's got some stuff he wants to do out in California, maybe a little reporting, maybe a little avocado um, picking. I don't know. You pick, do avocados grow on a tree? Nathan, do you know are they a tree or are they in, a, in the ground? Is an avocado like a potato or is it like an apple? I, I believe they grow on trees. Not in like the Midwest. Nathan's like, I can, <laughs> Nathan's like, I got up at eight o'clock in the morning. So I could say I oh, believe like avocado. Seven thirty in the morning to read through all these questions from our amazing what? text subscribers. What is this life I have chosen for myself? Okay. Oh, I meant to look this up to see if it's actually factually true, but I didn't. Buckeye talk. So we'll start with the first question. Maybe you guys know facts. I don't. This is an interesting one. I had not even considered this. From the six one four, will Jackson Smith and Jigba break the single season receptions record in this game? The record is 90. Jackson has 80. So this is Ohio State's single season record. First of all, do we know this to be factually true? It is. Paris Campbell broke David Boston's record in 2018, that 20-year record. Boston had 85. Campbell had 90. Yeah. So, yes, it is true. And it was also going to be my outrageous prediction. So thank you, Texter. Wow. The Texter's ahead of Steven. <laughs> and Steven coming back hot with facts yeah. back on the podcast. Yeah. So I – I didn't I didn't give one it would have been a great outrageous prediction for you, Steven. Actually, you can still do it. The outrageous prediction, that's a video we do on our YouTube channel. It's a different audience. I, this had not crossed my mind for one second. Steven, how like how how did you come to it? Did you stumble upon it or were you sort of like tracking it through the course of the year? No, no, it's just I think after the Michigan game where it, it just became kind of a thing of we knew either Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave at least wasn't going to play. They weren't going to have both of those. At best, they probably would just have Chris. And we saw what happened when it was just Jackson Smith and Jigba and Chris Olave on the field with no Garrett Wilson against Nebraska. It just you know opened up the door for Jackson to do a lot more. So I was already thinking about it then. And then when you know Chris Olave also decided to opt out, it was like, oh, yeah, now we're talking about a, a world where Jackson Smith and Jig was already in the slot. Now he's 
clearly CJ Stroud's best option. And this just seems like the type of game where he can rack up catches again. And so as we saw early in the season with CJ, it takes him a little bit of time to get comfortable with the new guy. Well, there's going to be two new guys, maybe three new guys, depending on how they do this on Saturday. So maybe he just leans heavy on Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and so it allows him to get 11, 12 catches. So are you predicting, is your prediction, yes, Jackson Smith and Jigba sets this record? Yes. Nathan, will he do it? So on the one hand, you would think it's maybe not a great matchup. Utah's, you know, solid defensively. Will they run the ball well enough that there'll be less uh, possessions for Ohio State, all that stuff. But there are a couple of factors that I think are also in Smith and Jigba's favor. First of all, as Steven said, that it did take them a little time to warm up as a connection between him and Stroud, but it's been trending in the opposite direction. I mean, he's got, what is it, uh, 45 catches over the past four games. So he's averaging mm-hmm. over 11 catches a game over the past four games. And I know the dynamic shifts now because he's not the third guy along with Olave and Wilson, but I think some of that is the connection that he and Stroud have independent of, of that, some of it. Um, and the other thing on top of that is if, if we know about it, I think somebody at Ohio state knows about it. And of the things that you can gain from this game that are sort of tangible, I would think that breaking this record could be one of them. I don't know that they would force it, but I'd be a little bit surprised if they don't like know about it and maybe are, are thinking about it a little bit, taking a shot at it. So I'm going to vote yes. Also, Nathan, you have this in your control to some degree because you can tell Jerry Emig and just double check and Jerry Emig can tell Ryan Day. So if they don't, for some reason, know about it now, maybe it's because they're trying to win a Rose Bowl and it was Christmas and whatever. Um, we can make them aware and then they can decide. But it is one of those, again, that's not why they're going to throw the ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba. They're going to throw him the ball because he's the best part of their passing game. But if he has eight in the middle of the fourth quarter and they're up by 20, they can get him two more. Right. They can get him Jets three more. Time. Right. I mean, then you can go out of your way. Hey, we were going to take him out, but let's throw Jackson three bubble screens on this drive and then get him out. So he leaves with the record. The idea that Ohio State's number three receiver would set the all time record for receptions in a season. And we know there are outside factors contributing to this is nuts, though, Stephen. Like it is like a it is a this is one snapshot of the Ohio State passing game. Their their third guy set the all time record. It's it's bonkers. Everything about this is is just you know crazy. I mean, we just did a whole pot of the summer questioning whether Chris Olave is the greatest receiver in Ohio State history, and he is not going to be one of the seven people in the school's history to have a thousand yard season. Like that's why I thought he was to the point of oh maybe they. They're not going to force it to Jackson Smith, the Jigba, but if he's got like eight in the third or fourth quarter, do they just get him a couple of jet sweeps to get him over the top? I thought, hey, Chris Olave needs what, like 70 yards? Why not just get it done early? And then, Chris, you can go sit down, you know, and then we can get all these young guys in the game. But that, that it's all – it's we went from a world where Jackson's just like the third wheel because Chris and Garrett are going to get all the catches to maybe he's the best of the three and he's just going to – he's going to break a bunch of records while Garrett Wilson's barely over 1,000 yards and Chris Olave doesn't get there. Of all the things, I mean, I think it is people are – some of the things they're excited about are like – the preview stuff of 2022. And a lot of that is guys who haven't played much, but also the idea of a preview of Jackson Smith and Jigba as the number one option in the passing game is an interesting thing here. Cause we know what that guy's about and we know he is supremely talented and dedicated. 
but we've never seen him without Garrett and Chris before. And what's that going to look like? Cause that's what it's going to be about all next year is also very interesting. I'll go over as well. Based, based on game plan matchup and sort of what you talked about, Nathan, the idea of maybe they'll know it and they'll make sure it happens. All right. We have a bunch of over-unders to start this rapid fire. We've got 16 questions. We're going to go a little faster. I want to make sure we get through all of them, but we're not going two hours. From the 3-2-1, C.J. Stroud, over-under, four touchdown passes. This year in 11 games, C.J. Stroud has had exactly four touchdown passes twice. He said more than four, four times. He's had fewer than four, five times. So this is a very good over-under number to put it right at four. And you can pick a push if you want. Nathan, where are you on this one? I will take under. I just think you know four is a, a, a robust number. Uh, they're playing a, a solid team. Utah, I'm looking. Um, they were 38th nationally in red zone defense overall, uh, 78.6% of the time. And then when you adjust it for touchdowns it's actually a little bit better they're almost in the top 25 nationally allowing touchdowns inside the red zone so i'll take under but three touchdowns obviously would still be a pretty good game steven over under four uh i'm gonna take the push here i mean utah's only given up 16 passing touchdowns all season but also i just it's, it's a combination of that so they're a solid passing defense team but then also house it's gonna throw it a lot so it's just if he has, he's gonna have four touchdown passes, but it's not because it's he's gonna have you know twenty four th- throws for four hundred and twenty five yards and it's just explosive all over the place. It's just because he's gonna throw the ball thirty five plus times because that's how this offense operates. Yeah, no, we had sort of talked about a couple of weeks ago, like maybe Ohio State just needs to throw it sixty times in this game. Um, I will take the under. I'm a little more towards three than I am towards five. I don't know. If this Ohio State offense is just going to march up and down the field against this Utah team. So I'll go a little under. We're going to save some real specific game questions for the picks pod that we will do on Friday morning after the final coaches news conference in California. So this is not our last podcast. This is rapid fire, but we have a couple more game specific ones we'll get to. There's another CJ Stroud over under though from the three, two, one. It's actually the same person asking another CJ over under over under 50 rushing yards for CJ Stroud, CJ Stroud rushing yards per game this year. His high in a single game is 13. He had 13 against Rutgers and 13 against Minnesota. This to me is like a almost a question from a bygone era, like way under. It's not like is it's like is Tom Brady gonna have 50 rushing yards in his next game? He doesn't run. CJ Stroud doesn't run, and they are certainly not gonna run him in an exhibition game, right? Like it's like, oh, it's like, oh, is CJ Stroud gonna come back from his Rose Bowl injury in time for the Notre Dame opener in September? Because he decided to try to, you know, run against Utah and Devin Lloyd cut him in half. It's like, that's, that's not going to happen. Ryan day is going to be like, if it's not there, throw it over the mountains. Don't run. I think the over under for rushing yards for CJ Stroud actually might be zero. And I might take the under on that because he's had multiple games with the sacks where it's like against Michigan, his official rushing totals were six carries for minus 30 yards. So Nathan, I'm more towards a negative number than I am anywhere near 50. No, I was thinking the same thing, like uh, under 50. How about like under 15? And then I went and looked and you're right. Like his high is 13. So like, how about under five? Like maybe over under should be five yards that he just like sort of stumbles and falls forward and gets uh, 
five yards and that's it. Uh, no, def- definite under 50. What do you say, Steven? A better over under would be how many actual rushing attempts would he have on Saturday? Two or th- two or three would be the over under there. So yeah, definitely under. That's not even. I, we'll see if he starts running next year when he's a third, uh, second year starting quarterback, but that's just not where he is right now. Okay. Another over under related to CJ Stroud, and, and I thought this one was really good. From the 973, does CJ Stroud break the Rose Bowl passing yards record? Um, that's the main thing. Does he break the Rose Bowl passing yards record? This person from the 973 had a lot of good questions, but that's the one I wanted to hone in on. The record for Rose Bowl passing yards was set in the 1995 Rose Bowl after the 1994 season. Penn State beat Oregon 38-20, but the Oregon quarterback threw for 456 yards in defeat. He was 41 of 61. His name is Danny O'Neill. Since then, Sam Darnold, I think, has broken the Rose Bowl record for total offensive yards in the game against Penn State a couple years ago. And Vince Young had set the total offensive yards in the all-time one-versus-two game, USC versus Texas. But just passing, it's still this Danny O'Neill guy. Steven, like, is this a number that feels on the table for C.J. Stroud if we are envisioning maybe them chucking it around? I think he can flirt with it. I don't think he's going to get it, but I do think to say he's going to have at least 400 passing yards isn't, which is insane to be saying it about Ohio State quarterback, but that's where we all know. It's not crazy to think he'll have 400 yards and maybe he flirts with it, but I do think there's a, they can run it enough. I don't know if they're just going to get stonewalled every single time they run the ball ball like they did against like Oregon and, and, and Michigan, but I do think he can flirt with it just because there's going to be room for some explosive plays to make up for – you know, they're probably going to have to drive it down the field a lot, but there is going to be opportunities where it's a 50-yard touchdown because Jack Smith the Jigba broke somebody off or somebody got beat deep. But so, but no, I don't think he'll actually break it. So 456 would be C.J. Stroud's second highest total of the season. He had 484 in Week 2 in the loss to Oregon. Uh, he had 432 against Michigan State in basically one half and one more drive. Mm-hmm. He had 394 against Michigan last time out. He's been over 400, one, two, three, four times this year. Nathan, what do you think about this? I'm a, I'll, t- I'll say no, uh, only because I think it's – I think there's also partially just because of the way Utah plays uh, and, and partially because um, it, even if – if there's basically been two ways where C.J. Stroud gets a lot of passing yards. It's either he throws for like 400 in the first half of a blowout or, or Ohio State – loses and uh or has a game that it could lose and he has to throw for a lot of yards i mean that's obviously what happened against oregon um the, the nebraska game where he went over 400 yards was in a way uh, a a version of that um just kind of i guess the way i'm seeing the game play out i think it might just be a little bit more balanced than that and and, and 450 whatever is is a lot of yards so i'll say no the the idea that he might have to throw to like keep them in the game that actually that scenario i think is is like very possible um i just don't know that this is going to be like a super high scoring high flying game on either side of the ball i think it's going to be close but i think with the pass rush that utah will get i think with devin lloyd floating around and being a pain in the butt um and with and just without the guys without the the 
Wilson and Olave. I, I will say under on this, but I can see how it could happen. And and I, I could see it happening like in defeat, right? The, the, again, like the, the record is currently held by a guy who lost and that CJ Stroud throws for 475 and Ohio State doesn't win. And that's part of why he throws for 475. Because just like he get it against Oregon, he threw for a ton of yards and they didn't win the game. I I, th- I think it's a really smart question because I think it could happen. But I also will, will take the under just because that's a lot of yards. Another over-under related to Travion Henderson. This is the same guy from the 321 who just, or person from the 321 who gave a lot of good over-under questions. Over-under 125 for Travion Henderson. I do, am, I'm intrigued by how the Travion Henderson season kind of went because he had the breakout game for 277 yards against Tulsa in week three. Do you guys know how many times he, other times after that, he had a game of at least 100 rushing yards? So it, so Tulsa was one. How many other games, Nathan? How many would you say? It's just a couple. Yeah, is that a number? Is your, is your cousin a couple here official? Two. Yeah, two. Two. It was two. two. Steven, Steven, what's your guess? So, sometimes people say a couple actually means two. Sometimes people use a few and a couple interchangeably, and I wanted to make sure. Uh, it wasn't what, even it – was, it never seemed like he was done answering the question. He was just thinking out loud, and then he just kind of stopped. <laughs> yeah, Steven, what's your number? I'll go with two as well. Yeah, so it's two. He had another one of 98 against Purdue. He had 92 against Nebraska. He had 93 against Akron. But we sort of saw them saving him, and we asked a lot of questions about that. Eight carries against Akron, eight against Rutgers, 16 against Maryland, nine against Indiana. And it's like, oh, they're gearing up for down the stretch. He goes 28 for 152 against Penn State, and they needed him. 21 for 92 against Nebraska in kind of a clunky game. 13 for 98 against Purdue. Nine for 63 against Michigan State in a blowout, then 17 for 74 against Michigan. So, Nathan, where what are you inclined to think about 125? Again, I like the number because 100 is like, okay, well, 100, if the passing game's missing a couple guys, maybe they go to Trey. He's had a month off to get healthy if he was a little banged up. But 125 is a little bit more of a stretch. What do you think, Nathan? I would take the under it just be to get up to that number, I think, would be – pretty high utah i'm looking um they rank in the top 25 nationally in plays of 20 or more yards allowed and um while they're going into the offseason so maybe they would be inclined to give henderson a a game like that where he had to you know tote it a bunch of times and, and really you know pile up yards that way um i don't know if that's that has been necessarily the way that he gets a, a a bigger game. I guess the exception was the, the Penn state game. That was like the game where he was maybe more like grinded out um, to get those hundred and some yards. Um, obviously the Tulsa game, there were some, some big runs and even against Penn state, he had a 68 yarder. So do you, do you think Utah is uh, leaky enough to give up that where he can get like half of that total on, on one play? I, I guess it's possible, but, but one twenty five is just a, a big number. He's only done it twice. So I'll say, I'll say under. Steven. Yeah, under. I mean, he's he's their home run hitter, but he's very much, you know, swing for the fences right now. And it's got to be a home run or it can sometimes be nothing just because he's young. And that's how this works. It's going to take him time to grow into being the guy who can be a 28 carry 154 yard guy whenever they need it, which will probably start in the next year. Um, but right now, uh, Utah is not the type of defense that's just going to give up the 
68 yarder randomly because somebody took the wrong gap. And so now he's off to the races. And so he's going to have to work for it a little bit. And he's not, I'm, he's not necessarily ready to do that yet physically because he's 18 years old. I will say he's also really good in the screen game, and they've kind of discovered that with him. You look at the mm-hmm. Michigan game, he had 74 rushing yards, but he had five catches for 54. The Nebraska game, he had 92 rushing yards, but he had six catches for 44. Maryland, they had 102 rushing yards, but he had four catches for 67. I could see him getting over 125 yards from scrimmage. But I think if you, especially if you're going to let that pass rush come in a little bit, then you hit him with the screen game. And that's, I mean, he broke out. He had the 70 yard screen for a touchdown in his first game, right? That's, that's one of the good, really good things that he does. And so I think it's possible that Nathan, you're talking about a lot of times and Steven, like the idea, he's a kind of a chunk play guy. I think maybe his chunk play is a catch. And so it doesn't help the 125 rushing yards. So I'll also go under on that. All right. That's it for over-unders. Other questions about this game, though, from our tech subscribers. If you want to be able to participate and ask us questions like this, 614-350-3315. Again, all the tech subscribers know they've been getting a boatload of information from Nathan out at the Rose Bowl this week. We'll be back with more questions after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, let's talk a little about the opt-outs. Again, four Ohio State guys opting out from the 214. Question for Buckeye Talk. Based on your experience as a coach like Ryan Day, have any indication prior to arriving at the bowl destination of key players deciding not to play in the bowl game? Uh, Nathan, you were there in Disneyland when Ryan Day revealed this. Would your guess be that he was surprised by this stuff or that he kind of knew the whole deal all along? Well, Kevin Wilson said yesterday that in the case of Chris Olave, they didn't know for sure that he wasn't going to play in the game. He's obviously with the team. So that makes sense, I guess, a little bit, that maybe he hadn't made his final decision until he came out here. Um, But for the guys, I don't know that these other guys are with the team. I haven't seen them with or around the team. I didn't see any of those guys at at Disneyland, although everybody was kind of, you know, just wearing their their grays. And it can be harder to, to differentiate guys from a distance or whatever. Um, but if you're not those guys, they knew like if they, didn't, if they didn't get on the plane, they probably weren't playing in this game. So uh, <laughs> I think it's a mix of, of both. But for the most part, in these cases, I, they, I think, give the team notice that you need to plan to have somebody else play for me. Steven, what do you think? That makes a lot of sense if they didn't really if the one they didn't know was probably Chris Olave, just because they probably to an extent had some of the same mindset that we had of, hey, it's a kid from California. Maybe he still wants to play. We get a chance to get a thousand yards and get up out of here the right way. Um, but everybody else, I think Haskell made sense. I mean, this guy came back for a six year. Um, Nicholas Petit Frere, interesting, just because I don't know if – I mean, the last thing he has on film is him getting dominated by Aiden Hutchinson, and maybe he didn't want that to be his last thing. And then, But Garrett Wilson, that's just like – I mean, they probably wouldn't have let him on the plane if he wanted to. So it's like – for them, I would assume most of, the, most of the time you know a few weeks ahead that, okay, we're not planning the playoff. We've got this uh, bona fide first round or top ten pick. He's probably not playing. I do think coaches aren't blindsided by stuff all that often. They have a handle on their team. But I do think when you reach this point and these guys are thinking about the NFL, they start having NFL people advising them, right? There are business uh, people and agents and and just like people around them who start giving them the lay of the land a little bit. And then the coach – it's not that the coach is – 
is not involved, but he's sort of not the guy in charge as much, right? During most of the career, it's the coach and the family, right? That's that's who advises a player on this stuff. And then when you start getting to this next level of stuff, sometimes the coach, I think, has a little less handle on things. So I don't – what you said, Nathan, I think is interesting that they kind of did – you know, Lave's there. I don't know. Well, I mean, you want him. If he wants to play, my gosh, he'll take him. But – I don't think they're blindsided much, but I also think they are less in control than they often are sort of during the course of these kids' careers. All right, Kirk Herbstreet had a conference call with media earlier in the week, talked about opt-outs from the 4 and 9. Herbstreet is just wrong about the opt-outs. These bowl games are meaningless exhibitions, and nothing proves it more than the Rose Bowl. The Buckeyes playing on New Year's Day will look nothing like the Buckeyes did against the Big Ten schedule. Bring on the expanded playoffs. And what that texture is referencing is Kirk Herbstreet said this. Before we had the BCS in the playoff, the goal was always to go to the Rose Bowl. But how often did they actually go? Not very often. Yet they still went to another bowl game and they were excited. I just don't buy into this narrative of meaningless bowl games. These teams have always had goals of getting to the championship and it doesn't happen all that often. But you don't throw in the towel and say, well, we didn't accomplish our goal. It's the Rose Bowl. We used to have to try to deal with the consolation prize being the Citrus Bowl, but it's the Rose Bowl. Maybe these players, when they get out there on the field, it'll dawn on them why it's different and unique. I get being disappointed, but you've got to shake it off and move on to the next game and get that bad taste out of your mouth. So I agree with the texture that, like, that's not it, Herbie. Like, that, that ain't it, man. Nathan, you're shaking your head. Steven, you're shaking your head. Like, that's 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 1990s thinking man that is not 2020 thinking nathan what do you think no the, the rose bowl isn't the rose bowl anymore it's just not it's it, it it because the game has changed um it's not i don't think that on its own people care less about the rose bowl i think it's partially because the you do have an achievement above that 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 you could in the in the olden days you would win the big 10 and go to the rose bowl and whoever you played, it, it, and we're, we're guessing at who the national championship or uh, champion is or evaluating. And we've just changed how we do things. We've changed the structure of the sport. And you, you just can't it, – it, Ohio State did not wake up the day after the Michigan game excited to be playing in the Rose Bowl. Like, the, the, you can't – no one did. No one did. You can't exp- – did, did, did they at Utah? Sure. But their season was very different. Um, yeah, and Herb Street's just wrong. But also, let's not forget – I mean, who does Herb Street work for? He works for ESPN, which pays to broadcast a bunch of these bowl games. So I'm not saying he's disingenuous, but he's also not going to come out and say that they're meaningless exhibitions because his employer is the one broadcasting all of these meaningless exhibitions. And I don't think that would go over very well with the folks at Disney slash ESPN slash whoever else. I think about it like the first of all, that's that's a point. I'm pretty sure I, you know, him and Fowler are the people calling this game. So yeah, it's in his best interest to get the best possible product on the field. Think about the four people who opted out here: Texas, California, Tampa, Florida, Las Vegas. This isn't 1965 where 70 of the 85 scholarship players are from Ohio and they're getting. This is like the only chance they get to go to Los Angeles ever in their lives is when they're playing in the Rose Bowl because it's just prestigious event on the other side of the country. Chris Olave grew up watching the Rose Bowl. Dude, he's from California and everybody else is between all these different showcases and and recruiting camps. They've probably all been to LA before and at least seen the Rose Bowl with their own eyes. It's just not viewed in the same light anymore. These guys don't view it as, 
oh, we won the Big Ten, so we get to go to the Rose Bowl. That's not the correlation anymore. I promise you, if you ask most of these kids now about the Rose Bowl and what their favorite memory is, they're going to say the 2006 Texas-USC game, which doesn't even have a Big Ten. And what's that? A national championship game. So that's it doesn't have the same you know, aura around it that it did back in the day when you were just going out west for this one time in your life. And I do think there's a lot of it that isn't even really about the Bulls. It's about the idea that 30 years ago, players didn't think to themselves, if I get hurt in this game, I might cost myself millions of dollars. And I don't – so the expanded playoff will help this. I don't think it's impossible – for a player to opt out of a playoff game in an expanded playoff. Like I, I I don't think that's a thousand percent impossible either. And then it gets into like, well then why, why don't you just opt out of your whole junior year? And it's like, why well, don't think that's impossible either. Cause Micah Parsons didn't play last year and got drafted in the top 15 and is like the best rookie in the NFL. So all Micah Parsons would have done in his junior year at Penn State is risk an injury. It had zero effect on his NFL status. None. And it might have helped him. He might be fresh as heck. He's dominating. He is a a rare, talented, great football player. But, like, it's, it's not even about, like, the bowl. It's about, like, millions of dollars and how much do I have to show. Once I've shown it, why would I keep showing it for free, regardless of the circumstance? And that might be the Penn State-Ohio game, Ohio State game. That might be Penn State or any team in a playoff. So I just think it's it's the millions of dollars thing, and you got to be realistic about it. Now, on the other side of this, from the 312, why is it that Jeremy Ruckert, who is not a captain, is playing, and tight end is a more physical position than receiver, and Chris Olave and Nicholas Petit-Frere are not playing when they're both captains? Um, I get Haskell Garrett not playing. He was injured all year, but NPF and Chris Olave don't have injuries. So now it's a little bit on the other side, Stephen, almost like, well, why doesn't everybody opt out? How come every single player who's going to play in the NFL, like, why are they all not sitting out? And uh, what I don't like is, and I'm not saying there's the implication of this, but the idea of like, that Jeremy Rucker, this makes Jeremy Rucker or anybody who is playing like more of a, like or Tyreek Smith or anybody else is more of a loyal Buckeye than Nicholas Petit Frere or Chris Olave or whatever. I, I don't like that implication. It's not true. But Steven, also, just some guys do want to play. I mean, Rucker and Tyreek Smith are also risking their health to some degree, however you want to say risk, but also it's cool to play. So I like, I don't want us to go too far where it's like, well, Every team should have 17 opt-outs. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way either. There's no wrong decision here. Now, granted, some of this can be based off maybe NFL scouts want to see one more game from you. If you're not a guaranteed, you know, day one draft pick. So that could, that's, but that's like semantic stuff. The point is there's no wrong answer. If the kid wants to play and there's not an agent or you know an advisor telling him he shouldn't be playing, then let him play. If the kid wants to play but everybody around him is telling him it's in his best interest not to, then the kid should sit. It's it's a case-by-case basis, and it really doesn't matter which decision you make. So Jeremy Record answered this question yesterday. He was asked, have you given any thought oh, to good. not playing this game? And he said, yeah, I'm in a different situation than those guys. Obviously, it was – by the way, he said, yeah, not that he had given thought. He's saying, like, 
yeah, I'm in a different situation than those guys. Obviously, it was a thought, but at the same time, I kind of knew at the bottom of my heart I wanted to go out the right way with these guys. I couldn't just get up and leave. I totally respect those guys for what they decided. They're in a different situation than all of us. I think that's the key quote here. Every situation is unique, but for me personally and people I've been around since I've been here, they made the right decision. I think it says not to play. I It goes with who I am, and I'm excited to do it. And that's, I think, the, the key thing here, that not every guy who's headed to the NFL is created equal. And it's everybody who plays football knows that they're putting a certain amount of risk into every game. It's There's the risk-reward equation. And for a guy, if you think you might be a first-round pick – or maybe especially, I don't know that Haskell Garrett thinks he's going to maybe be a first-round pick, but if you've been banged up or something like that, what's the point of of putting that on the line in a game like this? Um, then it makes sense to sit out. It just makes too much sense to sit out. And I think everybody in that locker room it, that we've ever heard from, and not just this year but other years, understands that. Again, we're, we're past the point where a guy like needs an excuse to do it or whatever. But the four guys who are opting out for Ohio State are three top 50 picks and a guy who got shot in the face and has been injured all year. So, like, if you're not that, right, then I think that's what Jeremy Ruckert's saying, right? That there, there are things when you've been through things with your body and it's like, man, I've my body has already been through enough. That's a factor. And Haskell Garrett qualifies there. And then the other guys are like, like, it's just more millions on, on the line. Right. And, and again, Olave and Wilson and NPF aren't going to show anything um, that they haven't already shown. So, you know, credit to everybody who's playing credit to the guys who made the individual decisions to sit out. And this is just the world that we're in right now. This is a football question about the game from the eight, five, eight, Nathan, we've been talking a lot about the Ohio state linebackers and the need to cover these Utah tight ends. This texter asks, why can't the corners cover these tight ends? Because especially if they're in 13 personnel and there's only like one receiver on the field, I don't know, like is Ohio state going to take a corner off and put an extra linebacker. You might wind up in a situation where a corner is, helping cover one of these tight ends or maybe covering the back out of the backfield or something. But I, I don't know that you want to live in a world where like Denzel Burke is, is matched up with a six foot five tight end all day. What do you think of this? The corners will occasionally cover these tight ends for sure. I think it becomes, you know, situationally like you're saying, okay, it's the red zone. Do you want a corner who's you know pushing six feet on his tiptoes going up against a six, four, six, five tight end? Um, and also you have to, it's not just about when you're matching up against a team that's going to play this much 13 personnel, it's not just who are you covering them with? It's who do you have on the field to, to kind of get both, to get both jobs done? Um, what are you, you have to have someone on the field. What, what's, what's the best situation for both run support and coverage, depending on what happens on a given play. So yes, the corners will match up against the tight ends some sometimes on Sunday how or Saturday. How much will they do it? Um, I think Ohio State wants to limit those, especially, again, in those key situations. Yeah, that, that's just not an advantage, uh, advantageous situation. It kind of take, takes a pretty special corner to for you to be able to sleep at night knowing that that's just how you're going to do it. You're just going to cover tight ends with cornerbacks. And they're – you can count on one hand right now how many people are playing football who can do that consistently for a 60-minute game, and none of those guys are on this roster. So Nathan's right, though. It'll happen sometimes because that's how football works out. But 
it won't be because Ohio State wants that every single possession. It'll be because it's in the middle of the field and Utah just wants to have three tight ends on the field all the time. It depends, too, whether the tight end, I mean, if he has his hand down versus if he's out in the slot, Mm -hmm. right, how you align the guy. I I can't remember if it was the first game of this Brown season against the Chiefs or it was the playoff game last year, but the Browns had Denzel Ward on Travis Kelsey at times, right? Because it's like, well, Kelsey's a tight end, but he plays like a receiver and he's just like a slot receiver. And so you want your best corner on that guy. And then like there was, I think it was the playoff last year. It It was like a big play in the game. It was like a tough play for Denzel Ward where Travis Kelsey just beat him. And it's like, man, Denzel Ward, especially the way he's playing this year, he's one of the, he's one of the 10 best corners in the NFL, but that's, mm-hmm. like, that's still a bad matchup for him. You know, Travis Kelsey is a bad matchup for a lot of people, but it just depends again, if, if they're, if one guy's just kind of out as a slot, but I think Nathan, these guys do line up, like they'll have three tight ends on the field and they'll all their hand down, right? Like they'll, okay. you know, that it's like a goal line situation sometimes. So um, I do think, I just expect Nathan that we might have, just sort of like some personnel packages that are that are moving in and out for the Buckeyes based on how many tight ends are in the game and like the way they think they might be aligned. Uh, so so some corners, yes, but I think the bottom line is you can't just have the corners do it all the time. Let's do a Jim Knowles question about the defense. From the 817, it's Connor in Texas. Hey, guys, I know the official answer is that Jim Knowles, the new defensive coordinator, starts January 2nd, but do you guys think that he may have more of a hand in the Rose Bowl defense than we've been led to believe? I feel like with the defense being exposed like it has been all year, maybe you pull ideas from anyone you can. Now I sound like Doug projecting what I think and asking if it's correct. Great. Thanks, guys. Nathan, what do you think of this idea? I know players have been talking about it, that they've had, and the coaches said they had brief interactions with Jim Knowles. Do you think he's given any advice for this? Well, at least what they're saying publicly, you know, Matt Barnes said, again, just uh, more just like an introduction that there haven't been, you know, meetings. Um, so as kind of the texter alludes, it would have to be something that they're they're keeping quiet. But I would be, would I be surprised to find out that he hasn't, that nobody ran anything past him? Or that right, maybe it would be just Ryan Day at the Ryan Day level, right? To be like, hey, what do you think about this? Like, what are some things, some questions or some ideas that I can then take back to my defensive guys? Like things that I want to make sure that they're looking at. Because you just bought this guy's brain for a reason. And I know he doesn't technically start until January 2nd or whatever, but he ain't working for anybody else. And you're the one that's going to start uh, writing him some big checks. So I don't know. I'd probably, I'd probably send him a little text. I'd probably slide in his DMs, find out what he thinks about this. Slide in his DMs. Sliding his DMs. Hey, man, what do you think about how you'd stop Tavion Thomas? Uh, Steven, they asking Jim Knowles for advice, you think? <laughs> he just slides in and says, Tavion Thomas, question mark? Yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. I mean, sure, I'm pretty sure in just you know brief conversations, they had a quick talk about Utah and what he thinks. But nothing, obviously nothing officially is happening there. But, I mean, you talk to your future employer – enough you're probably going to have a small conversation about what he's currently doing they might have to pay him on a freelance basis though when i started at the plain dealer uh the first game i covered was the ohio state texas game in 2005 and i was not technically a full-time employee of the plain dealer yet because it wasn't starting officially until monday so i got paid as a freelancer to cover that game on saturday night so i know jim Knowles is probably like hey i know i'm getting 1.9 million once i start but 
Technically, I checked with HR, and I'm not on the clock yet. So if you ask me another question about Utah, I probably need like 200 bucks before I answer it. I do think if they were playing a Big 12 team, if they were playing Oklahoma, mm-hmm. I think the answer would be yes. And if they were in the playoff, because like honestly, there's a they could be in the playoff and be like, oh, yeah, no, we're bringing in a new defensive coordinator. Because even though we made the playoff, this isn't good enough. And if you're in the playoff, it's like all hands on deck. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, like, right. I mean, I, I'm not so sure that Jim Knowles wouldn't have been like watching practice, giving advice if, if they were in the playoff. I don't know how to say this the right way. I don't know if this game matters enough to like be bothering Jim Knowles, if you know what I mean. Like, not that I don't want to act like it's meaningless, but it's like, listen, man, this is our group. We're going to finish it out. It's an exhibition game. We, I think we got it. You know, we'll try our best, but it's not, he doesn't have firsthand knowledge and it's not do or die. So I don't know. There's also a professional development uh, aspect of this, um, for lack of a better term, where maybe Ryan Day wants to give Matt Barnes and Kerry Combs and the rest of his defensive staff, you know, their last chance to complete this job that's been going on all season as far as, you know, not just coaching these guys individually, but, but, but fixing this problem or, or trying to solve this specific problem that Utah is going to present them. You know, what, what do you learn from this experience? Especially if there's guys who are going to be on the staff again next year, you know, you do you benefit from letting them try to figure this out? You know, one more game of, of coaching experience. All right. This is some uh, stuff that I, I kind of like these kind of ideas from the eight, five, eight, which Buckeye defensive great would you bring back to play in this game in his prime and shore up the defense? So Steven, we're going back in the way back machine. We, we did, you know, Mount, uh, Mount uh, Buckmore on a bunch of defensive players. So, you know, pick anybody. Pick Jack Tatum if you want. Pick Chase Young. Who's the guy you would bring back for this game? Um, yeah, when you said these questions, I, I immediately started thinking, which Bosa brother or Chase Young do I want? Um, and I just, I'll just roll with Chase. I'll, you know, I mean, it's I'll, hard. I, yeah, I'll roll with Chase. Are you ever wrong picking Chase Young? Like, Are you ever wrong, uh, Nathan? Who would you want for this one? So I, not being as well versed in the the full history of Ohio State football, I didn't know exactly who to pick for this. I had said something like maybe an outside linebacker, like whoever the best outside linebacker in Ohio State history is. But when you say Tatum, that's kind of interesting to me. There, it feels like there's almost more of a a Rose Bully connection there because that would have been you know uh, back if an, an achievement to make the rose bowl back then so maybe he would just be more up for it if you're just pulling him you know you're just like transporting him from the past right through a time machine and he just shows up here and you're like hey we're playing in the rose bowl and he's like oh my god that's amazing you guys must have had an incredible season you're like nobody tell him that like we fell backwards into the rose bowl we're like, <laughs> <laughs> we're just like trying to keep him off of of social media um but couldn't he i mean i know that we've we've had discussion of like exactly i know he was a defensive back whatever but like you could make him a, a bullet or an outside linebacker or something i think he'd probably hold his own out there so that's a good pick uh i, I do think i would take chris spielman and i would put him in the yeah. middle of this defense mm-hmm. and tell him to stop utah's run game and don't let cam rising run and chris spielman is an all-time great buckeye who sort of played like in this weird era of Ohio State football at the end of the Earl era and never got to play in a Rose Bowl. And I'm not so sure, like, if you ask Chris Spielman, like, right now, 
like however old Chris Spielman is, 50 plus year old Chris Spielman. It's like, do do you want to play in the Rose Bowl? He'd be like, uh, yeah. And so, and given how much we've talked about Ohio State linebackers this year, I think I think Spielman might be willing to stick his stick his head in that in the hole and make a tackle right now. Spielman is probably the best. Yeah, as far as like who needs it the who needs the legend the most, it's definitely the linebackers. But I do like the idea of taking Jack Tatum and just like keeping him somewhere. Until the day of the game, and be like, "Listen, this is your na- this is the national championship game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't pay attention to anything else that's going on. Playoff. That's not. Don't don't worry about that. Yeah, just 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 send him toward football. the field right before the kickoff, yeah. and just don't give context. And he would look up and he would see the mountains, and he'd be like, "Let's go." This is a similar question, and again, I think it's probably an obvious answer from the 513 if you could swap one starter from Utah for one starter on the Buckeyes for this one game who would it be consider this a riff on Doug's freaky Friday idea Nathan what's your pick for this I mean it's it's Devin Lloyd and I think it's 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 sort of like a nature against nurture thing or a are are Ohio State's linebackers uh just not it or is there something about the scheme that is holding the linebackers back? This would maybe help us determine that. If you just took Devin Lloyd, if you took a linebacker of his talent and dropped in the middle of this defense, what does it look like? And does that tell us that they need to fix how they're using the linebackers or they just need to get better ones? Steven, is that the obvious answer or somebody else? No. I, I, with all due respect to Utah, and I do think this is going to be a competitive game, there is a drop-off still between – who their best just football player is, and then whoever number two is. And I mean, it's Devin Lloyd without question. It's to the nature of nerd. I mean, he came in as a safety. He was 6'4, 215. They just threw 20 pounds on him and said, Hey, go be our Micah Parsons. And he said, Okay, I'll do that for you. And now he's going to go be a top 15 draft pick. It is a good, I, I like the idea of what you said, Nathan, of like, let's figure out, like, is it the system or is it just the talent level? But again, it is just so coincidental to me that all year, we thought the Ohio State linebackers aren't good enough, and all year they've played good linebackers, that they're just our good linebackers in the Big Ten this year, and that Noah Sewell for Oregon was maybe the best player in that game playing linebacker for them when they beat Ohio State, and now here we are, and the final test is like the best linebacker in the country. That what you thought is like, oh, if they were going to get Georgia. It's like Georgia has the best collective group of linebackers, and the Kobe Dean won the buckets, and he's awesome. But I think like when you just think about like, sort of linebacker play. I, I I think Devin Lloyd checks a lot of those boxes and is probably a little bit better of an NFL prospect than the Kobe Dean. And that like, it's like one more salt in the wound moment of, Hey, this is a position that's probably going to matter in this game. And once again, Ohio state doesn't have the best guy here. All right. We're going to take another quick break. We have a Nathan mini bar question. And then a few more about the Rose bowl. We'll get to those next on Buckeye talk. All right, Doug Maurice with Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. I have survey questions from the texters that we're going to use a lot on the Friday pod with predictions. I have the predictions for the game from the texters. I have their level of interest in the Rose Bowl. I have what texters think if Ohio State doesn't win the Rose Bowl. How are they going to view that? Um but I also did ask the texters really quickly about Cincinnati and Alabama and Georgia and Michigan. And I don't want to say that I want to get just your guys, your quick thoughts on those semifinal games. 
Shahan and I on the College Football Survivor Show went in deep. That podcast is going to be out Thursday also with our big, long breakdowns about what we think is going to happen in those semifinals. But the semifinals are on Friday. The Rose Bowl is not until Saturday. I want to get you guys on the record with your picks for that, but I want to do a couple more questions first. From the 804, does Nathan have free access to the mini bar in his hotel room, and would he have the stones to use it and put it on his expense account? So, Nathan, I'm not even sure that you're in the type of a hotel that has a mini bar. What is the mini bar situation? No, I've stayed in very few hotels in my life that have an actual mini bar. But in these situations, there's always a media hospitality room where there are free beverages. Now, the one that we do in Phoenix, for instance, two years ago was Deluxe. And there's like a full bar going and they've got like bartenders going and they're pouring strong drinks. And it was it was a good time here. Still very much appreciated, but it's more just like a beer and wine situation. But it's free. It's, there's free drinks down there every night. So on this trip, no, I would not raid the mini bar because there's no need to. And in general, I mean, the reason I flew out on Christmas Day this year was because it was cheaper for me to fly two days earlier and stay in hotels than pay for what the flights were. So like when we're taking things like that into account, I'm not going to put like a bunch of um, hotel uh, 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 rum and Toblerones or whatever on on my <laughs> bill that I'm turning in for the for the trip. <laughs> How Nathan Baird's Toblerone addiction bankrupted Cleveland.com. <laughs> what? $17 per Toblerone? Th- listen, I'll tell you, man, there was a Toblerone era of journalism. It is not now. It's one of those things. The generation one generation probably older than me, two generations older than Steven. Man, they were Toblerone in their way across the world. Like being a sports writer back then, it was like, what did you do? It's like, I write four columns a week. It's like, I write 700 words four times a week. And they sent me to England with an unlimited Toblerone budget to write about the British Open for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And it's like, how did that ever make sense? It was like, oh, because if any business in Cleveland ever wanted to advertise anywhere, they had to buy ads in the newspaper. We are not in a Toblerone world. And it makes me mad when there are journalists who still think they are in a Toblerone world. And it's like, you know what your job is? Your job is to fly somewhere and cover a football game. If you think that you are entitled to a Toblerone on top of that, I get it. It's not a hobby. It's a job. We work our butts off. But also, you know, our job- it's a work trip. Our jobs are pretty good compared to what a lot of other people have. You don't also need the Toblerone. Pay for your own Toblerone. I'm not yelling at you, Nathan, because I appreciate the way that you approach things. But the, we know, don't, aren't there some Toblerone people still out there in the journalism world that it's like, hey, well, I mean, if I'm going to fly across the country and have to go to a football game, they better buy me a Toblerone. There were. There's definitely a some people who don't understand that these are work trips and not just like pleasure trips. Sometimes. Well, when I when I covered basketball, especially, and you got in the NCAA tournament, and you would meet up with your your friends, kind of from around the country, you you tried to get out to dinner or out to drinks with the guys or gals, usually guys from the big papers, because those were the guys who very frequently, like the bill would come at the end of the night for the table, and they would just whip out a card and throw it down and be like, ah. So it, it also kind of depends on where you work too. 
Yeah, I hate that though. I think you're, I, that feels to me like you're screwing your readers because that cost gets caught, passed down to somebody. In a world mm -hmm. where people are getting laid off and we're asking people to subscribe for the news, and, and I think that's good. I, I don't think it's unfair to ask people to subscribe for content that we travel around the world and have a job, not around the world. We go to East Lansing. <laughs> From East Lansing to West Lafayette, Cleveland.com travels the world within a 250-mile radius in a rental car. And occasionally they go to California. But I'm just saying, I just hate it. I hate that stuff that like you're entitled to it because your job, uh, I'm so important that I have to be at this football game and therefore I'll just slap down the company credit card. I, uh, it gets me, gets me all, gives me the heebie-jeebies even to talk about it. It makes me mad about people. Okay, that is not the main thing that we're going to end with, though. So thank you for not getting the the mini bar, not rating it, uh, Nathan. Sure. Okay, from the three one seven. This seems like the least intriguing bowl season I can remember with increasing opt-outs uh, and much of it is COVID related. With that said, do you guys think that name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal will help hurt or have a neutral effect on the non-playoff bowl games in terms of opt-outs and general interest? Do you guys think that we would ever get to a point where there is a 16 or 32 team playoff and we do away with the non-playoff bowl games? So there, I think we can have a reflective conversation when this stuff is over, sort of about the bowl system and that kind of thing. I think the thing you have to keep in mind is, like, Rutgers went five and seven, and when Texas A&M had to drop out of the Gator Bowl, Rutgers was like, we're there. And Rutgers was, like, dying to go to the Gator Bowl to play Wake Forest. And if Ohio State was going to the Gator Bowl to play Wake Forest, I think, like, Travion Henderson would opt out. He's like, I'm not opting out of my career. I'm just not going to Jacksonville <laughs> to play Wake Forest. What are we talking about? And I'm just kidding. I'm not taking a I'm just saying, like, I mean, for real. But we have to remember that there are so many teams that just don't ever have the national championship on their mind that a lot of those players – like getting to kind of a cool bowl game and even a game that Ohio State players would consider uncool is cool. And so, Stephen, like that remains a part of it. And I don't know that NIL or the transfer portal or anything like that will have an effect on the 110 teams each year that want to go to whatever bowl they can get to. And a lot of the guys will play in it. The best, best, best individual guys, Kenny Pickett, Kenneth Walker the third, those kind of guys are still going to opt out. But a good number of those dudes are like, cool, let's go. It's bowl time. Right, Steven? I don't know. Do you think that's going to change? Honestly, there might be a small argument that if you don't play for the Ohio State, the Alabama's, Georgia's, you know, the teams who are in the playoff race every single year, these bowl games are good NIL opportunities because they are. this might be your only national game of the year where everybody's watching you. So if you do something awesome, you can almost use it like how you see people in college basketball use the NCAA tournament as like a way to get your name out there. And now everybody's paying attention to you in the next year as like an All-American candidate, even if your team sucks. So that's always on the table. But yeah, this is going to be normal. It's not really going to hurt or help anything. It's just what it is. It's If you're a team who expects to be in the playoff every year, you don't make the playoff, then your best players are probably going to opt out if they're first rounders. And then you're going to have some players who don't play transfer. Neither one of those people really impact that much of how you want to view a, a random exhibition game though, because that, it's still a meaningless game. It's just now the players are acknowledging that this is a meaningless game. I'm going to move on and do what's best for my career. The other thing to remember here is it's not, yes, it's a, it's become a trend that players will do this, but 
you know who else is going to get drafted pretty high in the first round this next draft and is playing in this game? Devin Lloyd. Like not everybody who is mm -hmm. a, a, a imminent first round, high first round pick necessarily opts out of these games. And go back to the, the, the Herb Street conversation and how wrong he was that, that these are just meaningless exhibitions too. I mean, let's not forget, like there's guys, especially at these lower levels, these people who are like the chairman of these bowls and get paid a lot of money just to be the chairman of the bowl. And a lot of coaches and assistant coaches have bowl bonuses that are tied into getting to even bad bowls sometimes. And the players don't have that even in the NIL world. So I don't really know that the NIL changes anything when I look at this, that um, it, cause it's not enough usually to offset what you would be losing in a guaranteed NFL contract. And uh, the players who um, are at the lower level um, are not the ones opting out anyway. Yeah, I think in some situations, like the lesser bowls are better off than like the New Year's Six Bowls that aren't the playoff bowls. Because those New Year's Six Bowls, you're often getting blue blood teams that had a, quote, disappointing season, like Ohio State. Right. Mm -hmm. That you're getting it's like, well, we thought we we're gonna play for a national championship or only in the Rose Bowl. You're getting teams like in the whatever bowl, in the Tangerine Bowl, who are like, Tangerine Bowl, because we're Maryland and we never thought we were gonna play for a national championship, but we're playing now. Let's go kick Virginia Tech's butt. You know, like that's I, I do think there is there's just such tears to programs and such tears to bowls that I don't know. On one level, it's never going to be what it was. And on the other level, I think there's enough remnants to it. And as much as I think bowl season is a boondoggle, I actually think the lower level bowls for like the, the tier four and tier five teams, cool. Vacation at the end of the year, cool. Fans get to go on vacation, cool. It's just that at the top, we've got to find a way to expand the playoff, give more teams an opportunity to win it all and keep those high level teams and high level players interested because to them, the Rose Bowl is just an exhibition. All right, two more. I like this one. From the 304, the perfect Rose Bowl matchup would be Ohio State-USC as a playoff game. Given the direction the two pro programs are going in, how long do you think it'll take for that matchup to happen? So the next time the Rose Bowl is a playoff game is in two years, is the 2023 season, when some podcasts have said Ohio State may have the greatest team in college football history, and when, by that point, Lincoln Riley should have it going a little bit at USC because that year two for a lot of coaches, that can be when you start to hit it. So I don't know, Nathan, do I want to predict that Ohio State and USC will play each other in a Rose Bowl semifinal at the conclusion of the 2023 regular season? I don't know if I want to predict it, but it sure feels like it could happen. I mean, I don't. I, I will predict that Ohio State would be in the playoff in 2023. I don't know if I can go so far as to predict that USC definitely would be. Um, but then the other thing that makes this interesting is if it doesn't happen in 2023, then what does the bowl structure look like with the expanded playoff? Yeah. Then it gets to be a kind of a, a, a weird question. So it's more about do you think it happens in 2023? I got to see what Lincoln Riley does first before – I go off on any ledge because there's not a Justin Fields in the transfer portal right now where he can just go pluck that quarterback and then take whatever talent that's already at USC, which is very little right now because all of USC's t talent is at Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. Um, so I got to see what he does first. But I do think there is a world where let's just say it is rolling by then and they're in the playoff for whatever reason where 
one of these Ohio State quarterbacks could be USC's quarterback if you don't want to start Malachi Nelson as a true freshman because, I mean, the quarterback in the 2022 class was committed to USC before he didn't know who the coach was going to be. So, I mean, I'm maybe, but I, I'd lean on the side of no, it's probably not going to happen. It might take three or four years before Lincoln Riley gets USC back to where he wants to get it. So the one thing about the way that the, the stuff works now is that the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl are paired together as semifinals. And obviously, SEC teams are such huge playoff contenders. They will always pick the Sugar Bowl. And so Ohio State, in the year in the year that it that it's the Sugar Bowl and Rose Bowl as the semifinals, Ohio State should have a decent chance of getting to the Rose Bowl. Now, in 2014... They didn't. They played Alabama in the Sugar Bowl as the four seed because Oregon was the two seed and they played Florida State out there. And it's like Bama wanted to be. But it's like if Ohio State, as long as they're not the four seed, they could if they were the one seed, they would pick the Rose Bowl. If they're the two or three seed, there's probably a good chance the one seed is an SEC team that would pick the Sugar Bowl. So there's almost like three slots that would get Ohio State to the Rose Bowl as its semifinal. And then it's more of a question of could USC get there? I think one of the points... Again, there's been coaches over time who have hit in year two. A lot of those coaches hit because the guy before them got fired because they recruited well but didn't coach well. Ron Zook at Florida, Urban Meyer took over, wins a national title in year two. John Cooper at Ohio State, Jim Trestle takes over, wins a national title in year two. Clay Helton got fired at USC because they didn't recruit well. So Lincoln Riley is not as is not inheriting as much of a roster of talent as some of those other guys did. So it might take Lincoln Riley more than like a year to get his stuff together because he's got to build up that talent base to Steven's point. The other point is transfer portal. If USC is going to be cool, they might get seven game changing transfers like a year from now and re and build their team. Like Mel Tucker did at Michigan state, Mel Tucker at Michigan state in year two made a huge leap based on the portal. So could Lincoln Riley do an advanced version of that? I think that's also possible, but let's keep it in mind. 2023 is probably the year. And then to Nathan's point, the whole structure of the playoff might change to the degree that, I mean, like the Rose Bowl as a maybe a quarterfinal, but is it a semifinal or is it a championship game? It's going to get a little weird and we don't know what it's going to look like. But I do think 2023 is very possible. Last question. And then we will get to more uh, texter questions on the Friday pod when we're zeroing in on our playoff predictions but we will do this one right now from the three, two, one. What thing that you see in the Rose bowl would make you feel less confident about the 2022 season that something happens that Ohio state shows a weakness, shows a flaw. There are guys that play that we're expecting things from, and they don't look that good. I, I will say that I think my answer to this is nothing like, I just, I don't think, I don't think there's enough of an attachment directly between what would happen in this one game? It's like, what if they don't run the ball that well? Well, there's nothing that would happen that would make me think that Trevion Henderson's not going to be good next year. Well, what if Denzel Burke gets beat a few times? Well, I mean, Denzel Burke's put it on tape. I mean, he's good, right? I mean, we already know the linebackers aren't that good. I mean, the pass rush, it's like, well, we still think JT and Jack Sawyer are going to jump up next year. Like, I just, Nathan, I don't think there's an answer to this that is anything for me because I just don't think there's enough of a connection. Yeah, I, I struggled to come up with one too. I guess the closest I came was if Ohio State doesn't respond physically, that obviously they got called out a little bit from a physical standpoint by Michigan. I'm not even saying about like what was said after the game, but just like the way that game unfolded. Um, and then they've had that 
kind of on their brains for the past month because of things that were said after that. So do we do they come out just like a, a team that doesn't look like it's there to fight? But again, even that it's the circumstances affect that, too. And um, I don't think that has anything to do with whether that team's ready to play and fight or however you want to say it on opening day 2022. Yeah, I agree with that. The toughness thing is like they're going to have to live with that for the next eight months anyway, regardless of what happens. So that can't be a thing for me. It would just be people that are going to get opportunities in this game that they are only getting because, you know, people opted out or because of where we're just circumstances and they're not flashing. I don't think the wide receivers, Emeka Ibuka, Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison Jr. have to be awesome every single snap like we saw all year from the three wide receivers. But I do think they've got to do enough here to make you feel at ease about the fact that you are losing two of the five best receivers in the country that that's happening. And so like there can't, there's going to be some drop off because they're not as good as them right now, but can they show you enough to let you know that, okay, nine months from now, this passing attack is still going to be, you know, what we've come to expect at Ohio state, maybe even better. Cause now it's not just three guys. You got four guys to worry about. If we do get a chance to see Jacqueline Johnson and Jordan Hancock, do they give you reason for optimism? That's the only thing that would give me worries. If nobody gives you a reason for optimism that next year will be better, even if it's not on every single snap. I do think the answer to this would be something like related to the defensive coaching if they hadn't already hired a new defensive coordinator. Because if it's like, hey, Utah has this 13 personnel package and they're going to run the ball and Cam Rising is sort of a physical runner who could also make tough throws. And man, I understand that Ohio State maybe hasn't exactly seen a team like that, but they didn't come up with a game plan at all. Did they study film at all for the last month? Like Utah had its way. And then if you were coming back with that coaching staff and being like, man, do we trust the staff? to scheme it up to stop great teams, that would be the thing. But that's like, they already think that's an issue. So they already fixed it. So like nothing from the defensive attack, the defensive scheme is going to matter. And that's the thing that if you asked any Ohio state fan, I mean, you guys listen to this, you know, what's the big thing. The defense wasn't good enough. All right. Well, they hired the best defensive coordinator they could find for $1.9 million a year. So, that's not the thing that's going to be a worry for 2022, at least not based on what we're going to see in the Rose Bowl, right? We'll see maybe what it looks like in the spring game, and then we'll see what it looks like in practice in August. But for now, the main thing you would worry about has already been addressed. And then I don't think there's anything else that you would draw a direct line. Okay, let's do this quickly. And I know you guys are maybe not, probably not put a ton of time into thinking about this, but it's fun to make picks. Stephen, uh, Alabama is favored by 13 and a half over Cincinnati. Georgia is favored by seven and a half over Michigan. What's your gut tell you about how those two games will play out? Actually, let's just do this. Let's start with Alabama, Cincinnati. And Stephen, you go first on that one, and then we'll have Nathan go first on the other one. I think that's going to be a game for a quarter because Cincinnati is going to have a lot of adrenaline for an opportunity to get on the field against Big Bad Bama as the the representative of the group of five finally getting into the playoff and being the best version of itself. But I think Alabama's going to wipe the floor with Cincinnati. I, I don't think that's going to be close. One, because Nick Saban has already convinced his entire roster that they're the underdogs, which makes no sense to me. You're the number one seed. You have the most talented roster in the country, and you're about to bring in the, one of the best recruiting classes in the country. And yet somehow he has convinced them that they are David in this game. And uh, even with Mechie out, 
I mean, Jamison Williams is as explosive as can be as any receiver in the country. Um, Bryce Young, I mean, they've got a, a stable of running backs. Bryce Young's the Heisman Trophy winner. You know, Will Anderson's the at worst the third best defensive player in the country right now. So it's just there's too much of a talent gap there for Cincinnati to be able to make up for that, especially since they're good, but they don't have a a top fifteen pick type player who's gonna who's that much of a difference maker to just swing things. Nathan, what do you think about Bama Cincinnati? Yeah, I, I think Cincinnati deserves to be in this game. I think based on resume, I think they are the team that should be this the the fourth playoff team. But I agree with Steven that I think there is a still a significant talent gap here, and I would I would take Alabama minus thirteen and a half. All right, Georgia Michigan, Nathan, where are you there? This one I'm a little bit more on the fence about, just because I feel like nobody was really playing better than. Michigan late in this season and um, the way that they broke through against Ohio state makes me think that they could, they could do it against Georgia. But at the end of the day, I, th- I think I also agree with you um, from the other day that it's not a, a, maybe a matchup that is the best thing for Michigan. Um, so I will take, I will take, Michigan getting seven and a half, I guess. But you think Georgia wins? I think Georgia wins. Okay. Steven? I think I agree with that. I think they're the same team. Georgia's just better at doing the thing that they both do. And Michigan's not going to be able to just push them around the way that they pushed around Iowa and Ohio State because they're not, you know, I mean, finesse team has been what's been thrown around lately. But because they're, it's like, you're looking in a mirror. It's just one's your big brother, right? So, and the big brother's gonna win until the little brothers are actually you know, big enough to actually do something about it. So, you would take? Would you give I, seven and a half with Georgia, or will you take Michigan in the points? I'll take Michigan in the points. I think this is like a six point game. Okay. So, I'm gonna make you guys go listen to the other show to get my thoughts on it. Again, Shahan and I talked about it for about 40 minutes. Tyler Shoemaker, our good friend from Buckeye Talk, joined us on the College Football Survivor Show to help break down that game, uh, those two games from a gambling standpoint. So go find the College Football Survivor Show up on Thursday where Shahan and I gave our picks. And I will tell you that I'm thinking about things at least a little differently than Steven and Nathan are. So go find that. All right. We'll be back with our pick for the Rose Bowl on the Friday pod. We'll do that after sort of a final Coach's press conference that they'll have Friday morning with Ryan Day and Kyle Whittingham. For now, we appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>